Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Technical shenanigans continue as Graham McMillan and I deal with a new headset and differing recording levels. But, thank goodness, we also talk comic books. Lots of comic books. Comic books like OMAC number one, Batgirl number one, Animal Man number one, Detective Comics number one, Swamp Thing number one, Stormwatch number one, and of course, X-Men 17? As always, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Jeffrey Lester, welcome from my underground lair. <laughs> you sound like you're in an underground lair. I know, I, I genuinely am. I'm in the basement. <laughs> what? Why? Uh, it's very warm in Portland today. Oh. Uh, and my office is at the top of the house. And it's kind of unlivable, even with fans on and windows open. Uh, so I've come to the basement, which is really nice and cool. Yes. I, I figured if I'm going to be talking to you for two hours, <laughs> somewhere that it's going to be relatively cool. <laughs> that seems very sensible, Graham, I have to say, yes. But yes, underground layer. Is there an echo? I'm hoping there's an echo. There is. There actually is an echo. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're pleased. Welcome. My first question to you, Jeff Lester. Are you yeah. recording this? Uh, w- well, you know, Graham, who can really say? Uh, <laughs> certainly not me, and probably not you. No, I believe well, that I, I am. I, d- I definitely can't, so... <laughs> yeah, see? Well, there we have it. If you can't, Graham, why should I? Uh, no, I <laughs> I am recording. Uh, I'm actually talking to you on a old-slash-new headset, and my fingers are crossed, because... Uh, this headset, the few times I tried recording with you, um, it, it gives a certain amount of buzz and feedback, which uh, when I used it on the other computer, I'm hoping using it on this computer will be a little bit better. The old headset that I have been talking to you uh, on up until now, which I adore, is so broken. It I have to what edit. Have you done? Well, it's very fragile. Interestingly enough, I, this is probably the sort of thing you've you've not spent a lot of time obsessing over. But uh, in the course of looking through Amazon to try and find a good replacement headset, it seems a lot of these things are usually uh, pretty fragile uh, and somewhat not altogether put together. So I've not, I didn't come across any great reviews to replace my beloved Logitech. Uh, whatever the hell it is, A5306 or whatever, which gave great sound. Unfortunately, it just, one of the um, the right earpiece broke, so whenever I waggled my head from side to side, it would actually make noises that I would have to edit out later, which I was never really happy about. See, what you're basically saying is you want the listeners to email us with recommendations for headsets right god yes please please listeners if you know of a good headset that you think doesn't uh you know seems to be enough of a low output that it doesn't cause any sort of minor hum or feedback on the playback and seems sturdy enough to survive another 3.5 days of podcasting with uh with graham mcmillan please email us at wait what podcast at gmail.com we should find out that 3.5 days is the estimate that who was it Adam? Yeah, Adam Nave said yeah, uh, has has all of our podcasts apparently on his iTunes because he never deleted them because I guess he has an incredible amount of space in his computer. I don't know about you, but I delete podcasts after I listen to them because I'm like, oh my god, my computer's dying. Um, but yeah, apparently it's 3.5 days worth of podcasts. Yeah, which is kind of stunning if you think about all the stuff you've edited out. Uh, yeah, although I'm not... You, well, there's that. I mean, right, that's true. I mean, if you all the stuff that we've continued to say after going off mic but still recording, it's probably another half day on top of that. That's so. insane. <laughs> I was four, just like... Four days of podcasts. See, I, I listen to them, Graham. I have to sit down and edit these suckers. So it really is. It's, it's 3.5 days of us talking, but when you throw in the editing time for me, it's more like seven days for me. I have to say, as bad as it was to record last week's podcast, the fact that you had to edit it twice... <laughs> I, I would have given up. I really would have. You, you have the patience of a saint. Mm. 
If so, that is the whiniest saint in the canon. <laughs> let me tell you. But uh, but thank you. It really was. Uh, I was gratified by the response that we got from the podcast. And f- frankly, if nothing else, just having the moment where I put down the uh, headphones and walk away, and you have a giggling fit. I had to commit to making sure that got uploaded. That that was vitally important to me. So that was so great. I was so loopy after Darker for two hours. I was like, I know what I'm gonna do, and then I just couldn't do it. It was it was actually pretty delightful. It was pretty delightful. Uh, I think I actually to say something that like we shouldn't say in the recording, so you'd have to edit it out. But then I never did. Oh well, that's a that's okay it's just as well uh this way people get the whole delightful experience um oh, you're losing it completely losing. Oh, oh god actually toward the end there we are so punchy and scrappy with each other uh <laughs> you you just tease me hideously for the last 15 20 minutes of that it's... well that's also because we thought we'd stop recording yeah what? And then, uh, and then we just... yeah like, and then we yeah, kept going oh god well, yes. So, good times, my friend. Good times. Uh, and and who knows? Let's, yes, let's go back to those happy days. It's, and we should also announce the listeners that we're actually recording this really late for us. It's like 4.30, which yeah. is really unusual. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, well, I'm sort of glad that we had the... I needed a little bit of time away from... Yeah, exactly. Wait, what is not actually your full-time job, despite what it may have felt like this week. <laughs> it kind of did this week. It really was like, huh, I could be delivering pizzas for minimum wage, or... Uh, and yeah, it was starting to feel uh, about as gratifying. So, um, But the thing that's ironic is, at least for me... And for this month, it was like, even when I was away from this podcast the last few days, I've basically been reading comics and trying to get up to speed so that we have things to talk about. Uh, Isn't it crazy? Hey, I've got to ask, did you read OMAC? Yes. Are you kidding? Interestingly enough, OMAC OMAC was one of the first books that, uh, one of the few 52 books that I signed up for. So it was waiting for me. It and Action Comics number one were actually the books that I picked up at the store uh, and brought home and read. And uh, yeah, I was hoping we'd talk about OMAC. Um, I I I adored a lot of it. I'll oh be my. perfectly honest. Whoever, whoever came up with the idea of essentially it's Brother and the Hulk, that is mm-hmm. fucking spectacular. Yeah. It really was. It, it, it was so kirby without being a recreation of the old omak series mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what i mean like it's pretty much a moon boy and devil dinosaur slash the hulk slash yeah. omak yeah 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 no it's it's it was a really fun comic and you know uh this will lead into some other stuff that i'm sure we'll be talking about later but considering that a oh my goodness <laughs> see this thing because we're in the basement the dogs are actually running around above me for once, and not far below. And it, you possibly wouldn't have heard it, but there was like a small earthquake above me when they ran over. You can probably hear them barking now, but there was like a. <laughs> I don't think I heard that, thank goodness, but I'm just sort of like, oh, Ernie and Gus Gus. I fully expect to hear them, like, we'll record some podcast where you guys are actually on vacation and not in the house and we'll still be able to hear them you know it's like you'll be at the cafe down the street or maybe i don't know hawaii and we'll still be able to hear ernie and gus gus faintly in the background uh anyway omac one of the things that struck me while reading it is there was a certain individual that i imagine we'll get around to discussing who in interviews might be talking about (laughs) how there's certain things that he can do in his indie book that he can't get away with in his superhero book you know in terms of sort of uh experimental uh, approaches to structure or just a certain amount of um unhingedness i guess Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, I mean, admittedly, OMAC is a because OMAC it's is, is on the periphery of the new Fifty Two. Let's be honest. Well, it's on the periphery, and it's also at Dan DiDio. It seems uh, unlikely that this, you know, if this wasn't Dan DiDio and Keith Giffen, if this had been, you know, something that had been pitched by. Uh, I don't know uh, Jeff Lemire, say, or or Brian Wood, and uh, uh, I don't know. I, I'm hearing crazy things about the Jeff Lemire Frankenstein. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I'm hearing that Jeff Lemire Frankenstein is makes all my clues normal. Okay, so this is kind of my thing. Is like periphery aside, these are these are superhero comic books. Oh yeah. This yeah. was a superhero comic book which had a lot of really interesting goofy stuff in it, you know? I mean, it's it's the sort of thing that wouldn't have felt um you know, you could have slapped Joe Casey and Tom Scioli's name on it and published it by image, and a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, this is the stuff, you know? Well, that, that's just it. I mean, I had some level of expectation for a Mac, mm-hmm. but it was almost tempered by the fact that it was San Diego, if that makes sense. Like, I was yeah. like, it's Kirby and it's Giffen. How bad could it be? Right. And it's actually really fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, it, if this wasn't, if this didn't have OMAC and Dame on it, if it was called whatever... Mm-hmm. If, it, let's face it, if it was Godland, let's go with your Casey and Seoli. Right. People would be falling over themselves to be like they're channeling Kirby without being slavishly devoted to it. And there's a commentary on modern life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can't feel sad because this book is not going to get that sort of attention. And it deserves it. Well, it depends on the attention by who. I've certainly seen a lot of people in, in my Twitter feed talking about it either oh, acting I, I or reacting to it anyone talking about it oh, okay so maybe it's part of it of like i kind of was sort of like oh boy i'm going to talk about this with graham and no one else will have read this and it really seems like a lot of other people have read it and are reacting to it and i i, it, hope, I hope it's a super hit i really do i hope it's this weird cult book that at yeah. least lasts a year yeah. Oh, I, I hope so too. I hope so too. I hope it launches strong and stays strong. I've really had a tremendous amount of fun uh, reading it. My only complaint, honestly, is uh, there's some problem with either the inks or the, the coloring or both. I don't know if you had this feeling, but but some of the pages felt a little washed out and flat. Um, did you feel that way? Like that final I, I, page of the rye? Yeah, I felt that a couple of times. I think that's definitely inking, to mm. be honest with you. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think the coloring is not, well, the problem is really the coloring is not Kirby coloring, if that makes sense. Kirby oh, yeah. is much mm-hmm. more um, bold, mm-hmm. and this is kind of more tasteful, which I think works against the art, but I, I think it's definitely the ink. I, th- I think the inking is, I said, I, I said on Twitter, after saying I didn't see anyone talk about it on Twitter, um, that the art for me is literally Kirby and Giffen. I can mm-hmm. see moments of both. Yeah, I really could too. Really, really strongly. Yeah. Um, and I think the inking is Giffen and not Kirby. And I think that's the point where it occasionally falls down. I think if someone had a bolder line. Mm. Well, I think that, you know, it's interesting because I think that Giffen is, I'm used to thinking of his work um, as being as having very heavy blacks to it and I felt like there were, for whatever reason that was lightened up a lot so the the page where um uh where Lord McCory is is introduced in the lab uh with, yeah, with yeah. what's her name the find that, a friend that's a, that's a really that's a really good panel actually the first panel they appear in yeah. Uh, in part because the scientist is looking out towards the thing. He's got a really weirdly flat face. Dude, exactly. And it stands out. It's really Yeah, it really odd. does. Like, mm-hmm. that was the first thing I saw. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if it's on point. These right. guys, like, their masks are going to be pulled off and the faces are part of the mask. Right, right. Which would be very Kirby-ish, certainly. You so. know, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Or whether it's just really weird inking. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. It's... So those that's really my only quibble with it. The rest of it was really uh, really quite enjoyable for a two ninety nine comic book. I have to say that um, action and static were by far my favorites of the fifty twos I read this week. Mm, interesting. Uh, yeah, action. I I haven't read static yet. Static uh, is completely an old school Marvel comic in terms of writing, ooh. Uh, except it does it with the milestone characters. I love that hardware is just part of the team. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's just part of the book. It wasn't really announced anywhere. But in the book, and there's no fanfare. Hmm. Static pretty much just calls him up, and he's like, hey, so this happened. But it, <laughs> it's, um, it's a 1970s Spider-Man book in terms of writing, in terms of how it portrays Static, which I remember Static when it started way, way back when, and that's right. how it was written. He was written in the early days as Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And that's how he works for me. And so I was really, really, really happy with Static. Oh, good. Good. That's fantastic. I will I will have to keep my eye open for that. Should we move on and talk about Action Comics number one? Let's move on and talk about Action Comics number one. I feel like we've really jumped into comics. This is great. It's like we're yeah. dedicated today. Well, we totally are. We are, yes, my goodness. Well, it's it's because we had a few minutes of exhaustedly patting ourselves in the back and then Jumping right into it, because well, I, I honestly, it's because I was really excited to talk about Womack. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I, I, I was. I think it's just that I'm so happy that Womack didn't suck. Oh yeah, well, it there really was. So was. For it, it, it was a long shot bet. I mean, some of the stuff that I've seen, and I've never sat down and read a whole issue, but some of the stuff that Dan DiDio was doing on Outsiders was, frankly, excruciating. So, well, I see. I, I have. Right. I've read more than a few issues of Outsiders, um, and he has this really weird tendency to go from being funny. I think he can be a really funny writer to being mm. a terrible writer. Mm. Um, and strangely enough, something that gave me hope for Omak before I read it was he had this Facebook post mm-hmm. about the response to the New 52, which was essentially disgruntled fans are angry at me, which I guess means gruntled fans must be really happy. <laughs> and I was just like, that truly, like, I just like that. It, it wasn't hype. Mm-hmm. It was just like a joke. It was just this random joke of like, people are pissed, what are you going to do? Right. God, I, God yeah, bless the gruntled. Yeah, that was kind of like this. This is like that makes me feel that maybe Omak is going to be funny down to the and not, you know, I because it's not even that he's it's not even that he's ambitious and shit when he was on Outsiders. It's that he would be funny or he would be flat. Well, see, that's it. Outsiders I mean, had a lot of just flat things to it. Yeah, some of the stuff that you read to me and some of the stuff that I had seen was DiDio strikes me as a guy who can be funny. He's also somebody who, who, hilariously enough, needs an editor because his material, even his funny material, some of his stuff felt a little too sticky and flat and kind of groan-worthy, you know what I mean? Like almost sub-Peter Davidy type stuff. And I think... Um, I you know it, but there are also parts that I, seem to, to fair, work. I, th- I think there, I think there's moments of shtick in Omak. There are, there definitely is. Uh, you know the whole like dude who keeps hitting on yes, exactly him. Mm-hmm. He yeah. in particular seems really false, but at the same time, it's a first issue, and maybe I'm far too trusting. But I'm right. almost waiting for a reveal where he is something else. Does that make sense? Oh, interesting. Um, I just I would just hope that it would either get better or disappear. But I was not. I wasn't. Maybe, that... maybe, it's, the, maybe it's the Giffen in me because mm-hmm. I definitely feel that um, Giffen's Doom Patrol. Because mm-hmm. uh, I read the first issue and was like, eh, "This is interesting, but not interesting enough for me to continue." And I went back and got the trade a while later uh, from mm-hmm. the library. And Doom Patrol really turned out to be like a book that rewarded patience. Mm-hmm. Like things that seems totally off. Mm-hmm. Pay off four issues down the line, and it wouldn't be—he wouldn't signpost at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, "Oh, so he's—you know—he's doing a red kind of continuity," and then like four issues down the line, he was like, "Oh, he's not." And the way he explains it will make you think he's a genius, right? Because hmm. Doom Patrol basically says, or given Doom Patrol basically says, all the Doom Patrol stories have happened, mm-hmm. every single one, mm-hmm. and so every time that you thought they were resetting back to Rita. Mm-hmm. And, and Larry, they weren't. All those other stories happened, and then the chief just cloned them, and he didn't tell them they were clones. Uh, I think you. I think you told me this reveal, which I thought was was pretty, pretty great, pretty kind of unsettling. Uh, yeah, well, no, it's really disturbing because mm-hmm. basically, like, yeah, the chief really is a bastard. Mm-hmm. Every single time they've been pretending the chief's okay again, he's really not. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the other yeah. time, no one was a full clone. Basically, he'd have to change other people to clone, the, like turn them into clones. Oh wow! Sense. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so he... which, which is really like it adds to the creepiness. Yeah. Wow. Huh. That's very interesting. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll have to hunt up that trade. Um, but yeah, Omac first issue, uh, so much more, uh, so much better than I'd expected, and really just very delightfully. Um, unhinged uh, 
which is interesting because hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about the um, the unhinged books in DC's 52 lineup that are not delightful, uh, which I had that experience at least twice. Oh, which which are what? Let, let's talk about that. Oh, okay. Um, honestly, Detective Comics number oh, one. I, I didn't read. I skipped oh. Detective Comics, and also I skipped Animal Man in case that's the other one you're going to talk about. You know, actually, I read Animal Man number one, uh, and that also, you know, I, I, I didn't. I didn't. I think that the the benefit to that is is that it's Animal Man. You know what I mean. So kind of like at least from Grant Morrison on, there is something that's a little a unhinged and b faintly disturbing about most of the people's takes on the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that first issue is a little disturbing. Uh, it's a little messy. And what's weird is it actually struck me as. Um, a really nice take on Animal Man, like sort of the latest twist in Buddy Baker's life. The the thing that sort of kicked me in the slats was realizing like, oh wait, this is, you know, this is a reboot of Animal Man, if you know what I'm saying. So but it's kind of... Here's the thing, is it? Superman aside, all the books I've read are mm-hmm. soft reboots at best, even Batgirl. Yeah, well, hmm, okay. Well, yes, absolutely. Most of them are soft reboots with the exception of Superman. And and so, right, so I'm sort of caught halfway in between of like, oh, right, as a, and Lord knows if there's a, if there is a character for whom the soft reboot is built into, again, his post-Grant Morrison. Oh, no, exactly, yeah. Animal Man has pretty much become a soft reboot. Yeah, so, um, you know, they did a lot of clever things on it. The very first page, sort of what what you think is a recap page, looks like uh, a page of an interview from The Believer, like done up exactly in that style. I I saw many people talking about that yesterday. To be fair, I'm going to read the book. It's uh, just that I'm going to buy it digitally and I haven't done it yet. Excellent, excellent. Well, I think think it's worth you looking over, and I think that you're going to be like... um, Neither, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll be curious. I, I don't think that you'll be disturbed by it. I'm not necessarily sure. Maybe you'll, maybe I'll be mistaken, and you'll be like, "Oh, I love this." Uh, for me, it was just kind of a case of, well, actually, I take it back. The one thing that that I had troubles with in Animal Man number one is, as El, as as ever, the relationship between Buddy and Ellen makes no sense to me. You know, I think this is kind of this traditional like. Um, the uh, at least the few issues that I had checked in on with the book post Morrison had kind of this feel of his wife being kind of the naggy shrew and then to make up for it Buddy's captions are always like oh Ellen she's the best I know she worries about me but she's like the best thing in my life kind you, of thing you luckily missed the Jimmy Delano run then Oh really? Was oh, it because oh, oh, she had an affair or something like that? Or I, yeah, I think she had an affair and then like she she left him. Mm. And it, yeah, it was just it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, this is this is bad. There's there's a couple of the the couple of pages the interlude where he's trying to talk to her and her reactions. Part of it is also I think the art the art is not. It seems it seems very odd to me that people well, yeah, are kind of like. Say, I looked at the preview on Comicsology today, mm-hmm. and Travel Foreman I think can be a really interesting stylist. But the preview is three pages of Buddy talking to Ellen, and it ends with Ellen being like, "Okay, on you go, do it." And okay, like, that's the scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like that is the weirdest. Like that's just wrong. That is yeah. that is a wrong choice for that for that scene, and especially the end of that scene. Yeah. So it's just it's. It's it's kind of rough. Like the the I think the artist bungled it. I'm not really sure that Snyder's got the strongest handle on it. Really, I mean he's got a lot uh, of. Uh, I don't know, mine's Jeff Lemire. Oh, Lemire, Lemire, right? Lemire. Sorry, thank you for correcting me. Le, I'm not sure Lemire's got the strongest take on it. He seems to have a very confident way with his narrative voice. Like it seems like he can get away with a lot in his stories because he just flatly has the narrator say so but I'll be I'll be curious to see I haven't I haven't followed say uh, Sweet Tooth even though I've got the first two trades sitting here um, I, I need to actually kind of see 
what he's all about. Uh, no, Detective Comics, though, you would not like. It is, it's like... I, I saw the last page. Oh, and then the last page, exactly. I say, I get into an argument with Ben Bertie on Twitter yesterday about the last page because he hated the use of the word fangasms. Oh, yeah. And I um, honestly think, I'd, I'd not read the rest of the issue, but I yeah. think it works on that page. Because I think it's making fun of the book and making fun of the scene. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, okay. The reason I have a... is this, like, Bengo really, really upset with it. He was basically like, this book is shit, and the proof of this book being shit is the use of the word fangasm on the last page. And I think that's a bit extreme. Well, to me, okay, there's a couple of things that bother me, and it's one of those weird, like, I feel like we're trying very hard not to spoil that last page. Oh, I think we can spoil the last page. Do you think? I All right. Well, uh, listeners, if you don't want to hear us uh, spoil the end of Detective Comics, um, so I don't wait, know. Wait, how, how do you feel to me to go? Well, okay. So, well, here's the thing. See, it seems to me that you don't need a lot of detail. It's pretty much what you're looking at. You know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah but also what you're looking at is potentially massive, but because of comic book physics, potentially not. No, but you know what I mean? Right. Uh, it strikes me as, and the reason I'm saying this is, uh, have you seen the X-Men Schism issue 5 images that were released today? Uh, no, although I saw you talking about them and was like, okay, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's made me think about comic book physics a lot today. Right. Um, what happens at the end of Detective is if everyone was real, mm-hmm. horrific to a degree that you can't really comprehend. Right. But because it's comic books and because it's this particular character, it is horrific to the degree of it's shocking now, but in six months probably no one will ever mention it again. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think I think that does. I mean, hmm. okay, here's the weird... There's a couple of different levels going on for me. One level of it is... What a little distressing to me is that book that is on the stands now, like that very act was more or less portrayed in Preacher, like around issue seven or eight, and it shocked the shit out of me then. Uh, but that was slapped with a mature reader's imprint, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's, that's the question. What is what is the comic rated? Yeah, I mean, you hear, uh, you know, um, Tony Daniel talking about kind of like, oh, I get to, you know, be more extreme. This is a darker edge of the universe. In fact, I should have pulled up that interview because I wanted to make fun of it some more. But but he really, but I was kind of like, if I hadn't known that, uh, that he was talking that way, I think I... You would have been like, what the fuck is this doing in a Batman comic? Well, frankly, I still was like, what the fuck is this doing in a Batman book? That struck me as just a little more extreme than I think a Batman book without a mature reader's label slapped on the front can be. Well, here's the jury Swamp Thing. I didn't. Swamp Thing is rated T+. Uh-huh. And I'm not saying Swamp Thing is not um, suitable for teenagers, because I think it is. But what's really interesting is I could see everything that happens in Swamp Thing having been a Vertigo comic 10 years ago. Mm. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, I, yeah, I, no. think, I think DC has significantly moved their internal goalposts. I think they have too. It looks like Detective Comics is also T for Teen. Um, but is, is it T or is it T plus? Because if it was T plus, I would almost let them get away with it. No, it's just it's T. T. It's just T yeah, for T. Yeah, that, that's extreme. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, yeah. Stormwatch, for example, is T+. T plus, oh, it is. Which, there's absolutely nothing in there that needs it. Mm. Like, Interesting. absolutely nothing in there that needs it. Uh, well, you know, it's... I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how these things break down. I, I'd hate and, to think anyway, that it was... Continue with your point. I completely interrupted. Oh, oh it's just, I'm not sure that the point is really there other than, like, it's... The rest of the comic is just bad and annoying because it's like very, very unsubtle Frank Miller pastiches. It really feels like um, it's, you know, it's a it's like a bad Frank Miller cover band for most of the issue. Like he just well, more or less. Outright. 
Well, yeah, it's Tony Daniel ripping off like Miller's captions. And, you know, it really, I said this in Twitter, honestly, it reminded me a lot of Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, you know, in that it, it just... It, it, he has in the past. The, the previous times have dropped in on Tony Daniel writing and drawing. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It, you, have, you have expectancy advantageous at some point. Yeah, I, I, it was all that this issue was missing. And in fact, I would say that it's fangasmic is the... Uh, his webline advantageous of of this first issue because and this is this is my thing is I understand a f- like a fangasm as being more of a like oh my god that's the most awesome thing I basically had a fangasm like this is something I've always wanted to see it was done and it was done better than I expected now unless there's some amazing news groups out on Usenet that I do not know about I cannot imagine that the last page of Detective Comics yeah was like you know like oh my god if there was only one thing that I could have hoped for also but here's the thing Yes. I, before that issue came out, and for some reason people had somehow read it, I think it's the people who got A, I think a lot of retailers were talking about it before it came out, and B, I think the reviewers who got it were talking about it. There was a lot of chatter online about it, and I okay. genuinely saw a lot of people say, the last page of Detective Comics is jaw-dropping, it is stunning, it is awesome, if you don't shoot yourself when you see this, you have no heart, all of that. I think as much as you are being optimistic about fandom, I think Phantom reacted to it in a way that was fangasmic. Mm, they might not have known that they always wanted it, but then when right. they saw it, they were like, oh my god, that's so intense. That's awesome. Well, and I think in that case, uh, Daniel is very much uh, in touch with the audience that he wants to be in touch with, I guess. I, 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 I worry that he is. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, it's... It's kind of it's extreme with the um, with a lack of any context, which again is almost getting me into the schism thing that I'm going to talk about later. But there's just something tiring about that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, you can do it, but do you have to? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess for me, it, it's 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 a two step for for the context. For one, I'm like, there. For me, the idea of seeing a quote unquote Batman Max title uh, from DC, I'm okay with. I just want it in a proper context. Oh yeah, uh, I think I actually think a Batman Max title is a great idea for DC. I just don't think Tony Daniels is going to do it. Well. Uh, but it looks like he's on his looks way. Looks like he's the one who was doing. Yeah, he looks like he is the one who's doing. Let's wait until David Finch's title comes along. You know, yeah, that'll be interest. It'll be interesting. The thing, it's it was really interesting uh, looking at this thing. Uh, again, you know, it's sad, but the things that bothered me as much about it were the the a lot of the rehashed. Um, just the rehashed Millerisms. There was also a little bit of an element of, I think, um, the the context here is definitely in the first issue is that this is the first time that Batman's encountering the Joker in this issue, and that also seems Wait, a little... that, But that can't be right, unless it's a flashback story, because the killing jokes happened. Well, like, they say that in Batgirl. Yeah, uh, let's see. So I, I, guess, I, I guess it's got to be a flashback. Well, I uh, well okay. It's um. Let's see if I can find Wait, but this, the. But and I again, I've not read it. Isn't the Joker in prison, sir? Uh, he ends up. He ends up in uh, Arkham Asylum at the end. So, oh, but he didn't. He doesn't start off that way. No, 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 no. He's in fact the very first page is, um, Batman's narration saying. 114 murders over the past six years. That's 19 murders a year, and I can pin them all on him, even if the courts can't. So, uh, it, it it sounds as if he's never... And then on the, the next page, he's sort of like, you know, the last several victims were known acquaintances of his, suspected friends of the Joker's. I've just learned that the victims received calls from a room in a hotel you know, from a payphone, he's like, that phone was used less than 15 minutes ago, I'm feeling lucky. And so, it kind of seems like he breaks in, let me see if it, uh, let's see if, if he does, 
Yeah, I don't think they specifically say that it's the first time that they've encountered each other, but there's a lot of things. There's, there's they, the, yeah, there's definitely they haven't encountered each other often. Yeah, so it, it's it's tough. I think actually Daniel does a pretty good way of playing it both ways. Sort of the same way that whatever the fuck is up with Alfred is kind of handled, you know? Like, Alfred sounds like he might be some sort of computer-generated hologram thing. So, huh. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's kind of a weird... You're not sure what's, what exactly is up with that yet. So, um, Anyway, yes, it was crappy uh, and kind of distressing and disturbing. The other thing, and apparently it sounds like you were going to disagree with me, is I, uh, I started to read Batgirl, thought it was crappy enough that I put it down, um, was able to get a hold of a copy to flip through again today, and... Oh, I, I'm not going to massively disagree. I think Batgirl is a real disappointment. Really a disappointment. And kind of... Remember how we were talking about... Um, I don't remember what the title was, but you were pretty excited that that, that Gail Simone was working on another book, and I, I said that my worry was is that she was going to push oh, it too dark. Firestorm. Firestorm. Oh, Firestorm. Right. I was worried that she was going to push it too dark, actually. And... Batgirl, again, feels apart from some just terrible, terrible art and art choices that I was very unhappy with, uh, it seemed really weird, weirdly extreme and grimy in a way that sort of surprised me. I kind of wasn't expecting. And then, of course, the, the, its final page, uh, was, although not as shocking as Detective Comics number one, was shocking and kind of its dumbassedness, I thought. So, you know, the, that, I, that... What, the thing that sort of pursued me about Batgirl is it's darker than I want it to be, and yet mm-hmm. I know from experience with Secret Six that someone can do dark really well. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think Secret Six, and again, Secret Six is a book that actually took a while to really grow on me. Mm-hmm. But I think when Secret Six got into its stride, it was great. Mm-hmm. It was really enjoyable, and none of those characters were "quote unquote" good people. Right. I, but that was almost the point. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Uh, I, but I feel that this was just—I just feel Batgirl shouldn't be that book. Batgirl mm-hmm. should be brighter. Batgirl should not be so weighed down by its history in the first issue. Oh yeah. Bat- oh I mean, yeah. Batgirl was a claustrophobic fucking comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The idea that someone is coming to this fresh, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what they thought of it. Do you know what I mean? Because Bad essentially, I'm back after a killing joke, but we've not really done what we thought because I was just kind of paralyzed for three years, but now I'm okay. And so, yeah, but now I'm back in the costume and it's really hard. And I'm fighting all these people, but I'm trying to, you know, keep up with myself. And I'm going to find a new roommate. And it was like, holy shit. Yeah. There's no, at no point is this comic fun. No, no. Comic. Mm-hmm. Letting mm-hmm. you have fun, or even acknowledging that maybe it should be fun. No, it's pretty much the opposite. I mean, again, the, the, there's that whole sequence with the really creepy group of um, oh, killers. Oh, rich, yeah, rich killers. Yeah. Rich, rich killer rapist dudes, or whatever. That I, I thought managed to be both sort of derivative of other material, and like it somehow managed to be both over-the-top and hackneyed in a way that uh, I just was not... I just wasn't happy with it. I don't know. I just... I read that book, and I was like, this is so much worse. Like, this is just, like... Like, there is... Man, it was, it was really disappointing. I, I, yeah, I just... I just didn't like it. It's not even that I'm like, you know, this is terrible. It's just that it just felt so wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. First issue should be, especially a first first issue to Batgirl. I mean, it's also especially with that cover. Mm -hmm. I look at that cover and I'm like, hey, look, she's happy, she's smiling, she's reaching out to the audience. This is someone who, after being in a wheelchair for three years, is enjoying what she's doing. And there's maybe like one panel Mm -hmm. where she's like, "This is awesome," and the rest of it is. I can't stop that guy. He's killed someone because he was looking to shoot me. Now I'm under suspect. You know, I'm under suspicion for murder. And it's like, 
What? Yeah, which is a dumb finale. I mean, it's interesting. It reminds me a little bit of uh, bah, 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 bah. what's her name? The the woman who directed the Hurt Locker, Catherine. Oh, Catherine Bigelow. Thank you, Catherine Bigelow's earlier movies. Like, well, actually, I, I haven't seen Point. I, I I will fess up here. You haven't seen Point Break. Is, uh, I haven't seen Point Break. I haven't. You're okay with that. Uh, <laughs> I think most of the internet would disagree, Graham. But thank you. Uh, but a lot of her, the other stuff, uh, Strange Days or um, God, is it Blue Steel? Which I, which, <laughs> yeah. which, I know it's like the Zoolander <laughs> look. Jimmy one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're like they're like these really dark melodramatically dark movies with women in them that seem like they're they've got something to prove like i can be just as tough and gritty and it it's it's not a it's not a good um it's just not a good it's not an approach i always I, like I, I don't, you know i don't even have a problem with that the problem i have is that the police woman who i'm guessing is Renee montoya mm-hmm. maybe uh, in back is the stupidest police woman ever well, yeah. This, this is what she sees. She sees a bad guy push another guy out the window. Right. And bad girl do anything. And then she ends up going, you just watched him do that. You're a murderer. No, yeah, I know. She's quite clearly not a murderer. Right, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least you know that. You know yeah. that that's not what a murderer is. Yeah, exactly. Someone who stands around and sees something happen. It's really bad. And it. so, yeah, it's plot hammer drama. It's Bad plot hammer drama. Let's see here. Strange Days, Point Break. Yeah, Blue. St- Good Lord, it is Blue Steel. I wonder why they were being so dicky to me on uh, IMDb. Uh, Near Dark. There's just a lot of stuff. I mean, she has moments. But for me, I honestly think if you, and I know that you and I are on different ends of this sort of spectrum where you're like, this isn't my thing. As someone for whom this can be, their sort of thing. I think it's... This potentially could have been my thing. It totally could have. That's what I'm saying. As a guy who kind of reads some of the the various grittier crap that I like, I didn't like this. Although, who knows? Maybe I just don't have a very good palette for gritty comics because I I picked up Punisher number three on a lark and I thought that was a that was a really shitty comic. Oh, I I, I actually didn't return to Punisher after issue one and I love me some Rucka. Right. Punisher left me so cold that I was just like, I'm not even going to try and get myself into this. I'm cutting my losses. Me too. Me too. But when I saw that cover, it's like Punisher the Vulture. I'm like, okay, I'll give this a try. Yeah, but How... it's, it's shitty new Vulture. It's young guy who vomits blood or something like that, doesn't he? he yeah, he, I don't know. He's constantly vomiting. I mean, and he's like the Red Lantern guy who yeah. also vomits blood. Mm-hmm. Except he's got talons and a huge chunk of it. It's weird. It's the closest I've ever seen a Punisher comic coming to being a Conan the Barbarian comic. And I think I would, in some ways, I would be okay with that, except it was the entire fucking issue was basically this one scene. It was... That, that, I have to say, if they actually do uh, ever do a Punisher is in time travel and gets thrown back to like medieval days... I would read the shit out of that. You know, That's I would a too. Comic I would read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is actually that is kind of. It's a shame that Rick Remender wasn't. You know, didn't decide to do that as his last little arc. Because <laughs> his last little crazy arc. <laughs> yeah, because he was doing the crazy pretty pretty consistently uh, way up till then. So yeah, uh, Batgirl. Batgirl really disappointed me. I, I'm between that and Detective Comics. I'm like, because as you know. I'm holding out for Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's book, and I sort of feel like... You know, you feel it's been soured? I really am worried now. I really have this thing of like, oh, this is going to be a huge, mis- huge well, mistake. in that case, I'm really glad you didn't read Swamp Thing, because then you would be like, I give up. I, well, I flipped through it in the store, and it just seemed, uh, it kind of seemed like a mess to me. I don't know. So, uh, what do you I think? I want to say it was Tater Pie on Twitter, Amy on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Is that this? Swamp Thing has too many words. And that's actually a surprisingly apt criticism of Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing <laughs> is horrifically overwritten. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of jaw-droppingly overwritten. Mm-hmm. There is, I think at some point, Snyder was like, well, it's got a literary tradition. You know, right. Alan took it over. I should really concentrate on that. And what you get is a comic that honestly just has too many words. Mm-hmm. It is hideously slow mm-hmm. it is it's just 
extremely verbose to the point of all the words become meaningless, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Right. Like there's so much inner narration, there's so much, you know, my daddy once told me mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, shut up. So right. To the point where like at the end, where there's like four pages of horror, quote unquote, you're like, right. thank God something is finally happening. If right. these scary guys can come and fucking kill Alec Holland, then that'd be awesome. <laughs> Please, Lord, let it happen. Well, yeah, I, I just, it failed my flip test. I sort of like the fact that the storytelling had very much, it's not, it. they're shooting for a very specific, they're shooting for not just more, but the storytelling has a beset and total bin feel to it very, very deeply. Which it um, does, and is, to my mind, utterly killed by the coloring. Uh, killed by the what? Coloring. Utterly, oh, yeah. Stunningly, the coloring is inappropriate for that. Yeah. Um, in, in, ta- in some places, it's just far too bright, and in other places, it's far too vertical brown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, they can't get the coloring right for some reasons. Yeah. So you've got some nice work from Yannick Piquet in there that is yeah. just being slaughtered by the colors. You know, it's just, it's just, and between that and having just, oh, I mean, really, right, scripting that does not help itself. Yeah, no, 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 no. Agreed, uh, agreed. That, yeah. that it, you really are left with this, it's a, it's a slog to read. And it's not, so little happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so much of it is expositionary for stuff that you don't need. Again, it's yeah. the first issue, and so you don't need Superman appearing for five issues, five pages or something. Yeah, it's yeah, it's huge. Out, it's out huge. You're back from the dead. Right. I just want to check in with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you just don't need that at all. And yeah. so that space, which could have been spent on making you interested in the character, as opposed to tying up past continuity, which now that it's a relaunch, you don't even need to mention ever again. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. Well, except you've got to have some sort of... You've got to... I do understand you've got to have... It, it's a little bit like the animal thing, man thing. They've got to be able to place you in, like... You know, I, I'm assuming that the story is like, okay, this is Swamp Thing. He's in the DCU, and the events of Brightest Day essentially happened. As far yes, as I can tell, yes, right? pretty much, yes. So the problem is he spends, I don't know, 10 to 15 pages setting that up. And I think that's, I mean, I, a, a horrible mistake. I mean, you know, I can see why you need to have some of that stuff in there for where your baseline is. Um, do you really consider you just did a three-part miniseries to set that up? Yeah, because you, you don't you necessarily had, you had know. The bridge. You could pretty much just start off, you could have cut out the entire Superman scene. And just said Alec Collins talking to his construction buddy worker and had have smarter expositionary narration there. Sure. And then moved on. Yeah, you but didn't need Superman's come. And also the Superman thing struck me as really fucking weird because this is the first time you're seeing current Superman in right. the new DCU. Mm-hmm. And he's old Superman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you've got Justice League Superman where he's like, hey, I'm gonna fight all of you. You've got Action Comic Superman where he is this young crusader. Yeah, and the first time you see current contemporary Superman, he is the Superman that they're trying to move away from. Right. No, I agree. And it just uh, seems really clumsily done. Well, did you see that? Uh, I don't know. I think God, I don't remember who had it, but the writer of Atomic Robo like laid out I, his I, Firestorm I, pitch. I think it was me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did. Yes, I did. I did see that. It was interesting to me how, like, his pitch was, I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is all really good, I would totally read this, and he's like, yeah, everyone seemed to like it, but because of the relaunch, we couldn't go in this direction, and I kind of had that moment of like, what, you can't, why, you know? Well, you really couldn't, I mean, his his relaunch, which I honestly thought was very fun, was pretty much, this is entirely based on old continuity, like... it would have worked great if they were not trying to get new readers, but any new reader would have been like, what the fuck? Well, Which, but, to be honest, is my reaction to Swamp Thing. Yeah, that's what I, I was going to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah, is my, both of us. That's background Swamp Thing has done it wrong, not that Firestorm Jews on the pass for that. No, well, that's kind of my point. Is It's like, it seems weird to me that, that, that Firestorm didn't make the cut for him 
for that reason, when Swamp Thing seems to suffer way yeah, I, more heavily I don't for think that sin. The real reason Firestorm didn't make the cut. I think yeah. he didn't make the cut because Gil Simone is a bigger name. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, Lord knows. Um, well, Stephen Von Skyver are bigger names than Brian Clavinger. Also, they have a proven track record to DC. Well, I was going to say that I think that's more important. Like you notice that Brian Wood, of course, who who has a pretty big, as big a name as the person who ended up on Supergirl, I would say, the fact that he ended up being sort of weirdly suddenly dropped, and left out in the cold, on it makes me think that at some point there were decisions that were made for some specific reason, you know, some political dimension, whether it was sales or whether it was like, this is, you know, a good soldier or whatever it was. Um, I just think that it's really interesting. I I think Swamp Thing is, man, that is one hard book to get right, you know? Yeah, and and they don't. They didn't. They really didn't. Although I will say this, everyone who is in front of a computer right now or owns Swamp Thing issue one, please look at the cover and see that Yannick Paquette worked out a way to give Swamp Thing shoulder pads in the shape of flowers. <laughs> yeah, maybe next issue will have like a tree thing that will look like those little collars that everybody Yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to that. Like a whole new design for Swamp Thing. Yeah. Yeah. He, he like grows special shoulder pads on there and <laughs> like a cybernetic muscle or something <laughs> talking about cybernetic muscles Stormwatch yes didn't read it you know uh, yeah, you, again you've missed nothing Stormwatch was Stormwatch is one of those books that is almost good mm-hmm. but only almost and so you pretty much spend the entire time being like he might get there eventually I don't know if it's going to keep my interest waiting for him to get there. Mm. Mm. Um, there. There's some nice ideas. There's a lot of really bad expeditionary dialogue. Mm-hmm. There is a real disjointedness mm-hmm. in terms of plotting, but you can tell he's really just setting a lot up. Like, he's setting a lot up in this first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, there's no real introduction to the characters. Mm-hmm. And this is very purposefully a reintroduction to the cast. Like, the, the plot is, or one of the plots is that part of the Stormwatch team have essentially discovered Apollo's existence and are trying to recruit him. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, none of the previous Wildstorm continuity is in play at all. Mm-hmm. And there's no real introduction to any of the characters. Hmm. You're literally thrown in the middle of it. Right. And no one really explains what they can do, mm-hmm. who they are. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I mean, it's, it's all... And this is happening. Right. And yet, despite that, it still feels incredibly expeditionary. <laughs> well, you know, I think that is, boy, that is just a big problem with comics today. I'm trying to think what I was reading. It was actually not this week. It was a book from last week where it was just shitloads of exposition. I mean, three-page sequences... Um of people talking. Oh, you know what it was? Actually, it came out this week. This is my saddest purchase of the week, a.k.a. even I can still be a slave to horrific nostalgia. I picked up X-Men 17. What? X-Men 17, Grant. Wait, wait, wait. Victor Gishler? Yes. Yes. Well, I'll tell you in just a minute. But first, let me tell you that... All I'm going to say is this. Jeff... I bought the first six issues of that series. I told you quite how bad it was. Yes. Why you, why you ignored my advice? I, you're on your own. Well, I have no sympathy for you in this one. Okay, but you will when I tell you. Because you must have, you must have a favorite character, Graham, don't you? Like a favorite D-list character that when that character uh, pops up... D-list? Yeah, I mean, it I could be A-list, I, C-list. I honestly don't know because I feel like all of my favorite characters eventually get brought back and then they do horrible things. Booster Gold used to be one. Hawk and right. Dove is one. That's why I bought the Hawk and Dove series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so, like, let's say that if, like, let's say that there, Victor <laughs> Gishler was writing a book for DC and Ambush Bug was going to pop up, right? Sure. Wouldn't you sort of hold your nose and pick it up, you know? No, I'd, I'd look at it and I'd look at their views, but I probably wouldn't buy it sight unseen. Well, okay. Admittedly, you have no heart, Graham. But my point being... <laughs> wait, wait, I want to know who the character is. The, the character is Skull the Slayer. 
Oh God, yeah, he's he's that's for he's been in there for a while, hasn't he? Uh, it's I if he has, it was news to me. He popped up in issue sixteen, like for at the on the last page, and I was like, motherfucker. So I've got to. So I paid three ninety nine, the same price that you could with one could buy. The first issue of Action Comics. Hey, do you want me to really mess with your head, Jeff? Go ahead. You know the Warren Ellis New Universal series that stalled? Yes. Skull the Slayer is part of the continuity of that. He's mentioned, and I want to say issue two. What? Yeah, seriously. Did, did he appear, or... Fuck all these appears, people. He appears in, like, a flashback. Oh, man. You guys, you guys bite ass. I hate the fact that... Well, anyway... Great. I'll have to go hunt that up. Uh, dude, so he... Use the internet to check that it is Skull Slayer. It might be another Marvel-like character like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is it. I've talked about how this character was... In in fact, when I wrote the, um... The, the column for Onomatopoeia, the Comics Experience newsletter, I went at to, on great lengths about my love for it. And I think also maybe, maybe in a couple of our... I don't know. Definitely some commenters have been kind enough to point out that Skull has popped up apart from his little series that Mark Greenwald, Mark Greenwald, I guess, ended up using him, making him the new Atomic Skull, maybe, in Captain America. And then... That's awesome if he did. Yeah, well, there you go. And then where did he pop up? He popped up kind of fat and out of shape in maybe one of the Invaders reboots or something like that that someone had given me the tip off about. I think actually it might have been... Yeah. Anyway, so I picked this issue up because it is. It's the X-Men and the Fantastic Four in the Bermuda Triangle and they encounter Skull the Slayer. And it is three ninety nine. It is a bullshit, boring book, man. I'm telling you, it is 20... You have 20 pages set in an area where you have dinosaurs and UFOs and intergalactic aliens, and it is all bullshit, blah, blah, blah. There is, like, one page where, like, Cyclops, like, punches someone and then gets his ass kicked, and then there's, like, half a page of Wolverine and Thing going, okay, let's tear this place up, and then they get zapped. I mean, it is... And the rest of it's all it just... Like they actually tore the place up instead of telling everyone they're going to tear the place up. Oh. That's where they went wrong. No, Graham, no. It's just the way people do these books now. It's like, oh, now for the big fight scene. And it's like half a page. It was like, but didn't it look cool? It's over now. And then it goes back to everyone fucking talking. It really, this comic is not that there's any other uh, fan of Skull the Slayer listening to this podcast. There's probably just people writing for comics who love Skull the Slayer. Fuck them. And uh, they, they, it is, this was a terrible, disappointing book. But I was shocked. I was like, this is all gabbity gab. And that's all these guys have to do. There's a scene here where, um, Reed Richards, Magneto, and uh, what's his name? The guy, Dr. Nemesis or whatever, are talking yeah, about. Nemesis, yeah. yeah, and it's it's two pages and it's basically like, well, no, we're fucked. And it's kind of like you had to spend two pages for them to talk about the situation and for them to be we're fucked? Like, cut that down to three fucking panels so we can show people like punching people fucked. more. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I, ah! uh, anyway, so... Um, that and yeah, Punisher... Yeah. Stormwatch is exactly the same thing. Oh. Stormwatch is a lot of people doing a lot of talking. But the difference is, I actually feel in Stormwatch, Cornell is trying to build something. It's just as, as a first issue. Like, if it was the first part of another storyline, you'd be like, okay, I know who these characters are. Mm-hmm. I know what they can do. For the first issue, you're honestly just like, wow, it's lots of people talking. And then, you know, there's kind of a fight sequence, but it's not really even really a fight sequence. Right. Right. And I just, I mean, I will say this, as much as I dislike Detective Comics, it was, it was packed full of action stuff. It was action stuff in a horrible, like watching uh, a, a cover band that doesn't look anything like the real band that you liked 20 years ago performing the greatest hits of the band from 20 years ago but at least it was like at least was, performing the hits yeah at least there was punching and there's a fight on a train and someone gets stabbed and you know it's like and it goes on for several pages not like oh we're going to talk you through every inch of this and then boom event and then boom to be continued you know just shitty shitty